Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my daily podcast that goes out with my email newsletter via the Kaka. I tend to look at Aotearoa's political economy with a focus on housing affordability, poverty reduction and climate change in action. Today I wanted to focus on the housing and poverty side of things in the wake of the awful Loafers Lodge fire in Wellington. Yesterday morning, very early in the morning, more than 90 people living in a former office building that had been converted into 94 rooms, individual rooms, most of which don't have bathrooms or kitchens, that share kitchens and bathrooms. More than 90 people scrambled, jumped, crawled out of the building after it caught fire. There had been alarms that had gone off earlier in the night, but this is a place where the alarms go off frequently, so frequently that people ignore them. And it appears that more than a dozen people may have died. We know that six people have died and there are 11 missing. And as of the middle of Wednesday, it appears to have been the worst fire disaster we've had in decades. This really is a clear example of where Aotearoa's twin crises of housing unaffordability and poor housing quality have combined with poverty to create the most awful tragedy. We know now that in that building, uh, as a four-story building that was built in the 70s, it could get away with not having sprinklers under the building code. Early in March, its building warrant of fitness was approved by council officials. And this was a building where people were cooking in their own rooms, smoking in beds, and it appears to have been a disaster waiting to happen. It has shocked everyone and highlights again the problems we have with housing and with poverty. In today's piece this podcast is with, I take a closer look at just the scale of the crisis and also how the government has approached creating more social housing stock in the last five years. Kanga Ora uh, has been in the process of building upwards of 11,000 homes. Now, some of them are net new homes, others are reconditioned old state homes, and in some cases they are homes that have been uh, built and added uh, to replace ones that have been removed. So the net addition to the housing stock, about 11,000. This was a building program that really began in 2018 after the government started uh, in place and has been going and there is funding in place until 2024. But last year, uh, Kanga Ora uh, told the government that it needed more funding to continue to increase the scale of the social housing stock and that it didn't have enough funding to keep doing this because of increased construction costs 
and higher interest rates. It's said in a cabinet paper, which I've detailed in the email newsletter, that it was going to have to stop increasing the net supply of new housing uh, and that any homes it built, and it continues to build around 5,000 homes per year, it says, will have to be sold into the private market. And it would look to sell some state housing uh, into what it calls the affordable market. Because it says it's short of money, it has also dialed back its uh, refitting of existing state homes to make them uh, useful to people uh, who have accessibility issues, people who are disabled, and also has dialed back on its plans for a warm and all rooms approach to healthy homes. It, at the moment, is only legislated to have to keep um, kitchens and living rooms uh, warm. It had hoped to do a warm rooms throughout their state houses, but has said that this is costing too much, and so they won't do it. Just to step back a bit and look at how this has developed and why I think it's unlikely that much will be done about it. Other than, as we've heard today, the launching of inquiries, a closer look potentially at boarding houses, how they fit with the current building code, whether sprinklers and smoke alarms have to be installed, and just generally the living conditions there, which of course build boarding houses and motels are at the bottom of the uh, spectrum of housing quality and are where people are pushed down to when they can't afford housing in the bulk of the market, particularly the private rental market. We've seen over the last five years the numbers of people on the social housing register more than quintuple to nearly forty to nearly twenty four thousand households with more than sixty percent of those people on that list coming from the Maori and Pacifica backgrounds. And this along with a big increase in the number of people who need food banks and who are having issues with mental health uh, gives you an idea of the sort of um, vulnerability in the Loafers Lodge um, building that uh, that was struck with the fire on Tuesday morning. The government over the last 30 years, both National and Labour, have pursued a small government, low public debt strategy. In the current form, that means having a debt ceiling of 30% of GDP. Currently, net debt is at 19% of GDP, so there is room to increase it under that self-imposed ceiling. And also, New Zealand's AAA credit rating is in, t- in line with others who have debt anywhere from 40 to 100% of GDP. Grant Robertson has also, since 2017 being saying that he wants to keep the size of government down towards the low 30% of GDP mark. Obviously it rose during COVID, but the forecasts in December, and we'll find out more in the budget tomorrow, show that he's looking to squeeze down the size of government into the early 30s uh, as a percentage of GDP. That um, means that the business-as-usual approach to running the budget is to try to run surpluses almost all the time to keep pressing down on public debt 
and to ensure that interest rates remain as low as possible. Now, why is that? Because low public debt means that private borrowers, i.e. people who buy homes, can have high private debt. Effectively, um, the financial world looks at New Zealand and says, what's the total level of debt owed to the rest of the world? And uh, you get a certain amount. And if the government has a very high level of public debt, that means that um, the rest of the world is going to look at New Zealand and say that we're a risky prospect, interest rates are high, and in effect, private borrowing is much less. So we have run government for 30 years on the basis of prioritising low public debt and trying to drive down the share of government in the economy from over 50% in the early to mid-80s to more like 30% now, and it's been lower than 30% in the last decade or so. That means that um, government has typically avoided spending money on infrastructure, uh, while at the same time running quite fast uh, population growth through loose migration policies. And we're now seeing that again, with population growth running at a rate of more than 2% per annum. That's four times faster than what StatsNZ has forecast for our population, and uh, uh, more than three times faster than what Treasury is forecasting. That means there's going to be extra pressure on infrastructure, and in particular, housing, rents, and house prices. So, in essence, the government is running a low-investment, low-debt strategy. And on Friday, I had a chance to ask Grant Robertson a few questions about this approach, and in particular this approach to debt, because there was an argument made that we need to save money for a rainy day and that uh, um, you need to keep deficits low or be in surplus to keep repaying debt so that there is a a strong buffer for the government to rely on whenever there's a crisis. The problem of now, of course, is that we tend to regularly get these climate crises. We've had the COVID crisis and we have an ongoing housing and poverty crisis, which you could argue is intergenerational in nature, in which you have to use your balance sheet, i.e. the ability to borrow money, to reinvest in your underlying infrastructure to solve these problems of housing unaffordability and climate change in action. And the broad question is, uh, isn't now the time to use the balance sheet to deal with these intergenerational issues rather than take a business-as-usual, save-for-a-rainy-day approach? In effect, isn't now the time to use that rainy-day fund? Here's the exchange with Grant Robertson. Isn't this the rainy day that people are saving for when they save for a rainy day? It's been pouring down for a few years. <laughs> That's the problem. And so um, we we certainly have, and we've spent significant sums of money. I get criticised about that often because we did invest to make sure that we got New Zealand through COVID with one of the lowest, if not the lowest, excess mortality rate in the world and with the economy and businesses surviving. So we have spent for the rainy day. And what I'm, the point I'm making here is on 
in another way which is less operational and more long-term infrastructure, we can do similarly. Do you think, though, that the current 30% ceiling is appropriate for um, a population that's currently growing 2% per mm. year and um, the current plans are only for half a percent population mm. growth per year? And also with climate change and intergenerational wealth issues, is that 30% high enough because that's sort of business as usual with these structural changes shouldn't it be much higher i've been very comfortable with the ceiling because i do think that that for a small open economy that is susceptible to natural disasters it is important that we we manage that carefully and as i said before we're at 19. so there is room there is headroom for us to be able to both have capacity in store when things come along but also to think about how we build our long-term infrastructure of course there'll be an argument from some people that we can do more but i'm happy with that balance so, so what 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 about the the, the two percent population growth so yeah as i said we have to start building that in but i can't think we can do that within the within those fiscal rules you spoke, we, but aren't you, take a couple more in there. but aren't you making short-term decisions around things like the emissions trading scheme which are in the long run you know are going to mean we have higher emissions and therefore there are well-being liabilities here. Within what we've done in the last few years and what you will see in the budget on Thursday, significant work to meet our emissions reduction plan and our, our carbon budgets. Just because there are a couple of projects which the government considered right now weren't in a position to be able to be implemented and actually weren't going to help us in, in over the next few years in the way that we'd hoped, doesn't take away from what we're doing. It's always a balance. It's always a need to make sure we look after people in the here and now using a well-being approach whilst also doing those long-term things. But our commitment to those climate goals has not altered and we have made significant investments and we will make further. Grant Robertson there answering my questions at a news conference on Friday after giving a speech introducing his budget, which has been described as a a no-frills budget, a bread-and-butter budget, a... um, just the basics budget, and in which he said the government would prioritise um, getting the government getting the budget back into surplus and reducing inflation pressure and, and pressure on interest rates. In which he also said that uh, New Zealand simply couldn't afford the two hundred and twenty billion dollars worth of infrastructure investment necessary. Now those are choices that the government is making, choosing to keep a low debt low-tax society and choosing to allow the current housing unaffordability and climate change inaction situation to continue. So um, I've got another chance to ask Grant Robertson a few questions today, in particular uh, in the wake of the Loafers Lodge fire and around social housing. Here's the exchange in which I also ask about whether we have enough infrastructure to deal with very strong population growth and whether he was worried about the effects on interest rates. Is the government building enough social housing? We're building a lot more than we've seen in previous um, times and and I am proud of the record the government has of, you know, a little over 10,000 
climbing um, public housing places that we've created since we came into office. Significant amount of transitional and emergency housing as well. Have we yet met all of the need? No, we haven't, and so there's definitely more to do. So why aren't you going to announce a lot more um, investment in this budget to solve that housing crisis? Well, let's wait for tomorrow to see what I do. Is the government um, concerned that the um, migration, uh, pace of migration, is going to force the Reserve Bank to hike interest rates or is actually you know, working against your efforts on inflation? It's an interesting one. I mean, migration generally is a net positive to, to GDP, to growth. And so, you know, I can understand why some people are raising those concerns. I think at the levels that we're at, um, uh, you know, the advice I'm getting is that the immigration levels are at what shouldn't have the impacts that some people are claiming, but I do understand why the modelling might tell people. Do we have enough infrastructure, housing, hospitals, for a migration rate of 100,000 per year, which is what we're running at at the moment? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, because we've come back from a period of time when we had little to no inward migration, um, we are seeing some pretty big numbers. Um, people are you know, filling skill gaps that they've been carrying for some time. Um, it is a challenge for us, and it has been a consistent challenge that we haven't built the infrastructure we need for the levels of migration we've had. Um, and I'll have more to say tomorrow about infrastructure issues, which I think are significant and New Zealand needs to get on top of. Grant Robertson there this morning uh, saying that uh, he thinks the government um, can handle the population growth that's coming through with the current levels of spending and debt. In my view, this is magical thinking that we've pursued for 30 years and ended up with the world's most expensive housing relative to incomes and rents, the most stressed renters, a quintupling of our social housing waiting list, and the sorts of events like the fire which has killed at least six people at Loafers Lodge. Meanwhile, the government has loosened migration settings to give us population growth again of 2% of uh, population growth of 2% amongst the highest in the world. It is a form of magical thinking to believe that you can have both strong economic growth, good public services, and keep taxes low and public debt low and keep interest rates low and asset prices high. Essentially, if you're going to reinvest in future infrastructure and future generations, someone has to have less now. It can't all be delivered by economic growth. I'm Bernard Hickey. I'll be here in Wellington to cover the budget and I'll be in the lockup on Thursday and will report on whether or not the government does invest a lot more. To be frank, for it to fix the $110 billion infrastructure deficit we've got, plus cater for the 0.5% population growth that's assumed, that's $220 billion. The same token, you'd have to see a massive increase in private infrastructure investment to deal with these issues. We'll see in the budget whether that happens, and I'll be focused in particular on whether the government increases funding for Kongot Raw so it can continue to increase the scale of the social housing stock, because at the moment it will stop at the end of June next year, 
and not add to the current housing stock. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was the Kaka, my daily email and podcast. Kaki te anō.